Welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch, review, and discuss every horror movie on Netflix in alphabetical order. Back again this week, it's me, Chris, and also it's Patrick. Hello. And Steven. Hi. And back again, Allison. I'm back. Welcome back, Allison. Thank you. So good to see you here. I'm wearing camo for the occasion. You guys didn't even notice. I did. We're on a little camping trip. Mm-hmm. We're on yeah. a little camping trip this week. Because we've got cabin fever. We've got cabin fever. I feel like we're also on a camping trip because we got the door open tonight and the crickets are chirping. You probably won't hear it, but if you do, uh, it'll add a little bit of ambiance. And because- I just got back from camping. I, like This was the perfect movie. I literally watched these this movie. Well, I think we can spoil it. We watched two movies for this episode. Oh, yeah. And I watched double. them both immediately after getting back from camping. It was kind of a surreal experience. I hope You should have watched them before you went camping or while you were camping. If I watched them before I went camping, given some of the metaphors you might be able to read into this movie, I don't think I would have had a very positive experience. It wouldn't have turned out the same way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're, fall has sprung and it is dark now. Early on. The fall has sprung. I came up here <laughs> in the dark, which is the first time I've come up here in the dark, and that means there's more time to watch horror movies. And you also get here say, later than usual. And when you say you came up here, you mean to the spooky old house on a hill where I live. Right. I came up to Patrick's place in the dark mm. and it's unsettling but I like this time of year I'm glad it's dark early I know some people like Patrick are psychopaths and they watch horror movies at 2pm <laughs> in the afternoon with the sun coming hey, through the curtains hey no I just watch horror movies at any time of the day I just have so many horror movies to watch that I can't limit myself to just watching them at night well you could at least get blackout curtains <laughs> you could at least get I'll, blackout I'll work curtains. on that but you know I got a budget but, uh, yeah, since we had so much time with the season change, we watched two movies this week, Cabin Fever and Cabin Fever. <laughs> Please explain, Chris. <laughs> Why did we watch two movies called Cabin Someone's Fever? Someone's probably saying that sounds like hell? bullshit. You, it sounds like you watched one movie. No, there's two movies called Cabin Fever, and one is a remake of the other. One's from 2002, directed by Eli Roth, and one's from 2016, directed by some guy named Victor Z. No, Travis Z. Travis Z. I got confused with Victor Zubkoff, who did 13 cameras. Oh. Because this is the hot news I just received on my cell phone minutes from starting the show. 14 cameras is out and available at the Red Box. At the Red Box? Oh. At what? the Red Box. Was 13 cameras available at the Red Box? I don't you? know. So that's coming down the track. We know it's going to make it on Netflix eventually. Yeah. And I can't wait. I'm here for it. I, we we may have been the first to break the news about 14 cameras on our 13 cameras episode. We may have been the only ones to break the news about 14 cameras <laughs> well, to I this mean, day. Yeah, we did get the news from another site. Like I thought we'd been like scrolling. Like you found it on IMDb or something that the director had a new movie coming out called 14 cameras. I don't know. But I, we weren't the first to report it. Do you guys do the numbered movies after Z? Is that the deal? No, those were at the beginning of No, our that's show. why so we did 13 cameras. We begin yeah. with special characters, then numbers. Yeah. <laughs> hashtag yeah. horror. Hashtag hashtag horror. horror. <laughs> and the rack, which had like square brackets around it. Oh. Yeah, 13 cameras. I'm starting to get some of the callbacks from last time. Oh, yeah. yeah we, we, we have a pretty deep We reference mythology. our past to an unnecessary degree. 
So it's two movies, and they're the same movie because they have the same script, basically. Oh, my God. Minor alterations. Minor alterations to the script. No, no, get this. The script was reduced from 132 pages to 90 pages. Travis Z cut it down, but somehow his version of the movie is longer than Eli Roth's. Well, a lot of it's the director vamping, I think. There's a lot, like, he's trying to, he's trying to prove himself, like, this would be a great movie if you're like a new director, you've only done shorts, you can take an existing franchise, put your own stamp on it. You've, the script is already done. You've already, you already know what one director did with it. Why not do something completely different? I would argue he doesn't, but it's clear that he sort of, while he trims down scenes, kind of stretches them out a little bit. Um, th- there's a lot of like drone shots in this movie where yeah. they don't need to be. Shit like that. I it have feels this, longer. I had this thought that if you had a budget and you were going to make one film... Presumably, see how it does. I get why you would take something that already exists and make it better, but he, in my opinion, and we'll get into this a bit more obviously later, but it wasn't necessarily better. It was a bit different, but that's what he blew his whole wad on. Blew the whole budget on this movie. Like you could have just done whatever he wanted, and this is what you chose to do. Well, but the director didn't bankroll it. Eli Roth produced it, which is even more bizarre that Eli Roth decided to produce a remake of his own film, which just speaks to his own boundless egotism. Well, his career was kind of in the shitter at this point. I mean, he'd done he'd done Cabin Fever. He did Hostel. Did he direct Hostel too? Yeah. Also, I don't mean to flip everyone off right now. I'm counting in a really weird way. (laughs) Uh, Directed Hostel too, or at least wrote or produced it, and then nothing for a while he like acted in a couple of movies he was in inglorious bastards um i think like he he needed the money that's what it came down to and he's like well maybe lightning strikes twice yeah there was some there was some weird thing where they were thinking about making a third cabin fever i think because there's also a no it exists there are two sequels to cabin fever are there two the third is not on netflix the third features sean astin in the lead role (laughs) oh which is really depressing wow Hmm. so i was surprised that eli roth had a hand in the grindhouse movies which Mm -hmm. i read on imdb i i adored those movies personally i thought they were so good yeah they really did a lot for me but this guy, I thought, has not got a lot of chops. So it was well, surprising. He's kind of been a Tarantino groupie or an aspiring Tarantino groupie for his whole career. That makes sense so. then. And Tarantino likes him. Uh-huh. I, I heard that Tarantino said he loved Cabin Fever. Hmm. But I think it's a very interesting thing watching these two movies. And I, I wish that were kind of a more common thing to kind of, you know, why don't you just release some movies into the public domain and let like 10 different directors do them over the course of time like well, it happened with theater. psycho yeah it happened with psycho sure that's the that was the only example i could think of with this where like you're literally taking a movie and recreating it like word for word scene for scene what well, about that night of the living shot dead shot, right? yeah. Yeah. night of the living dead oh uh, that's right that was remade in color uh what's his name tom savini the, right. the guy who did the uh the effects on the first one made his own version hmm. I can't think of many more. Was that really faithful as well? I think it's pretty... I haven't seen it in a long time. I think it's pretty much like shot for shot, but yeah. it's in color. And mm. it was made in like the 90s. So I'm mm. sure it's got a little bit of a 90s vibe to it. Yeah. So the basic premise of both these movies is there's a carload... I mean, we've seen it in countless other movies. There's a carload of teenagers. They're going to the woods to get away from it all and drink beer and have sex. And shit hits the fan and everyone dies. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
I, I did not like these movies very much. I'll just come out and say that right now. But the one one thing I did kind of like was just the basic premise. Flesh-eating virus? Interesting. Yeah. You know, you're not being stalked by a fucking killer. There's not a witch coming after you or not a evil spirit or something. It's just a biological parasite that's slowly eating away at people and no one knows for a little bit exactly where it's coming from. I liked that. I like that. Basic I like premise. movies like that, too. Yeah. You know, those kind of virus disease movies. I, I'm into those. Mm-hmm. Body horror, right? The horror comes from within it. Like, I, there were times when I thought, like, God damn, if David Cronenberg, well, he's done it already. That's the thing. Like, it's a great universal fear that can be used as a metaphor in pretty much every era and still be relevant. It's just totally lacking in like a compelling set of characters or setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, not just body horror, but the horror of just being sick for me. Is, oh yeah. It's kind of what drives this and all the other sort of disease movies. Cause yeah, it seemed different from a Cronenberg thing. Cause it wasn't so far fetched or over the top. You know, there wasn't like a fucking like phallic thing growing out of anybody's stomach or anything. It was just your skin early Cronenberg decaying, you know? Yeah. I mean like the, like rabbit is like a woman has plastic surgery that goes wrong and like gives her the desire to like kill people. Mm, I haven't um, seen that one. It, it's a little over the top, but like the gore, you know, like the, the stuff that, that you see on screen is like pretty, Pretty realistic and relatable, at least in those first couple of movies. Mm-hmm. This Wait, one, I don't know. I don't know what it's like to be stalked by a chainsaw maniac, but I do know what it's like to be horribly sick and like, oh god, how do I get better? All I want to do is get better. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple characters who go through that in this movie, and it's it's pretty compelling. Well, with I all mean, the sex in this movie, too, I mean, it's like if you've ever worried, and I'm pretty sure we all have that you've had an STI, <laughs> uh, this movie, like, I, I think replicates that fear pretty well. There are, there are certain, like, really effective scenes where I just thought, like, oh, God, like, I've, like, what if that were to happen to me? Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> so there was the body horror, and then also they were being, at a later point, kind of hunted by these backwoods townsfolk. Yeah, the movie throws you a few curveballs where, you know, it kind of gives you some red herrings early on where you think you're going to watch a backwoods killer movie and they kind of hang that out there and they kind of bring it back in some places. Um, Both of these movies are quite disjointed in a lot of ways. The first one's probably more disjointed than the remake. Would we agree? I'd agree because the first one is clearly like the work of a first time director being like, I can do comedy, I can do satire, I can do homage, I can do horror, I can do action. And there's no consistent tone throughout the entire thing. It's just pure peacocking all the way through. You never really know like quite what kind of movie you're watching. Is it trying to say something? Is there a message here or not? Maybe in addition to setting up the premises, we should set up just kind of what kind of movies both these movies are. The 2016 version is kind of a boilerplate 2016 teen horror movie. It's very well shot. It's very polished. It's very sterile. It's very safe. <laughs> I guess it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't think it's as like funny or clever as the first one. No, there are moments though. Well, that yeah. we can get to where it's like it goes into like almost like Looney Tunes level comedy for a few seconds. Mm. It's but it is more consistent tonally, and it kind of has a sense of mood and a sense of dread that the first one doesn't really stick to. The original by Eli Roth is all over the map. Sometimes it's going for all out gore. Sometimes it's going for like screwball frat boy comedy 
Sometimes it's going for... It never tries to even go for horror, I don't think, other than just gross out body horror. Right. Mm-hmm. There's not really any suspense. There's no it. suspense. Yeah. It, it sometimes feels like an asylum film. It sometimes feels like the Evil Dead or one of those movies. Um, it's to the point where there are people credited as like Shemp in like mm, Shemp Two, mm-hmm. which is an Evil Dead thing, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that's the first movie's greatest strength and its greatest weakness. There's a whole bunch of energy in it, and it's exciting and fun, but also it makes it really hard to like. It's it becomes irritating. I would disagree with it being fun, and I would mostly disagree with it being exciting, but I think I see what you're trying to say. <laughs> there's an energy to it. There's, there's tell, an energy to it, yeah. You can tell someone's here, and he's making his first movie, and he may or may not be 12 years old. Yeah, yeah, and he just thinks he's hot shit. Like, he's absorbed, you know, all these horror movies that he thinks are awesome, and he thinks that he has channeled the power of, like, Sam Raimi Romero and, and Romero and every other horror director that he loves into making like the ultimate debut horror film. And there's nothing what wrong with trying that. There's not, there's but like, what he's trying it, but the way that it comes across is so like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you call people sociopaths all the time on the show, and I feel there's something that feels vaguely sociopathic about just how conceited he, the director's voice comes across in that movie. Yeah, I had a hard time when I finished it. I was like, ugh. I mean, we were talking about this earlier today, uh, either Steve, Chris, I don't know. Somebody, I was talking to somebody about this earlier today, about how many times, like, the words gay and retard are oh, thrown around as pejoratives in the first movie. And it just, you know, it feels like just the douchiest totally. kid putting it a almost, movie together. Like, it seemed so pointed that I thought, like, maybe this is going to contribute to yeah. some larger metaphor. Right. Yeah. Like, they're saying gay all the time, while there's also, like you know, potentially an AIDS metaphor here. There's, they use the word retarded a lot. And there's a lot of sort of like passing on traits or, you know, a disorder or disease to someone else. I thought like build some of that. But the thing thing with Eli Roth is he's all aesthetic and he doesn't understand. There's not really a message behind any of his films. Or, or, you know, I thought, well, okay, maybe this is a way of telling us something about the characters, you know? No, they're, they're indistinguishable from each other, except that, you know, a couple of them are a little less predictable than the others, but still mm-hmm. fairly predictable to us as people who've seen movies about teenagers in a cabin in the woods. It's all just so dumb. That yeah. was my problem with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a dumb movie. And I don't even have a problem. I mean, the the gay and retard stuff was pretty bad and jarring. And I share your feelings on that. But then, like, there's nothing wrong with making a movie that's just, like, ultra violence and trying to be provocative, which is what he's trying to do, especially in horror but it's so dumb. It's yeah. just dumb. Mm. I felt dumber after having watched this movie. I did too. Mm. Like, even if you're going to go for horror comedy, you can be smarter about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you even South interesting Park would characters. do this in a funnier, more intelligent way. Oh, yeah. All kinds of people could do it in a funnier, more intelligent way. I, I try to see the good and I don't want to say every movie because some movies are just inherently, like, just stupid. This one I was really trying. <laughs> and I, like I said, I finished it and I was like, I did some thinking on it and I was like I just thought it was dumb mm-hmm. I really thought it was dumb and I did feel dumber having watched it I mean I was especially I, di- I didn't do that much thinking about it in the end because the very ending of this movie is so I mean we'll talk about this I think in the spoiler room was the consensus but it was so fucking misguided and just <laughs> god damn it it's so fucking stupid I hated it <laughs> yeah <laughs> There were a lot of things I liked in the movie. I have to use the word heart. I don't know if that's the right word for a movie that's made by someone who's maybe a Has no heart. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, it, and I'm talking about Eli Roth's movie. 
and this is Eli Roth's movie, the characters are distinct, even though they're all two-dimensional caricatures. And there's a loosey-goosey sense of comedy. I thought it might be like mumblecore or something, or improvisational comedy. Until we found out by watching the 2016 movie that it was all scripted, because most of the same lines are intact. Verbatim. And that's that's something that doesn't work in the second movie, because the first movie has these scenes where there's some dumb comedy and stuff, and, you know, some of it's funny, some of it works, and the characters seem to be kind of ad-libbing it, and and they're, they're comedic actors. The other movie just tries to be dreadful the whole time, but it still has these like that was dreadful right <laughs> are the characters really distinct though I would oh yeah they're in the first I mean one. there's the one I so uh, I don't know I mean the only one that stands out to me is the dumb one with the Bert. gun yeah is that his name Bert? yeah I guess he's who came to mind when you asked that question yeah. so maybe they're not other than that there's like two douchey dudes and two girls there's there like two people... couples right yeah so and then there's kind of the, the fifth wheel Something that came up, uh, I watched both of these movies within 24 hours with my boyfriend, Brad, and we kept talking about one Ryder Strong is in the first movie. Anybody who's a a Boy Meets World fan or grew up on it, it was interesting to see how he aged. Uh, Sean. Dad dad haircut not working out so well for him. Uh, We kept talking about like... Wait, who is he? He was... He was Sean in Boy Meets World. He was heartthrob. No, I mean, like, who is he in Cabin Fever? I He's the virginal good guy. Yeah, oh, arguably, okay. arguably the lead, if Paul, you had to choose one. Okay. If you want to name. Yeah. Okay. Um, but we kept falling back on the attractiveness of the characters in both movies and comparing them, like, to each other within each movie. And then by, watch, by the time we watch the second movie, like, oh, he's hotter than the equivalent of that, or she's, you know, whatever. And I realized, like, while we were doing this, like, yeah, we're having fun, but, like, there's nothing else to talk about. That's why we're focusing on the, the superficial while watching mm-hmm. these damn things. Totally. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of depth. These characters I did the same have thing. nothing going on for them for me to care about them. So if I'm going to stay entertained, I might as well just compare like whose tits are bigger, who's got better, you know, abs. I mean, and I, I think hate that's to watch what Eli movie. was going for. Probably, I mean, especially with the the women. I'm sure. Yeah, if you if you have been listening to this show and you hear us when we're being the woke police complaining about the male gaze, and you want to know what the male gaze is, the woke police, <laughs> just watch Cabin Fever. Yeah. It was pretty. It was directed by the male gaze. Directly. Exactly. <laughs> Personified. Um, but I guess we might as well just kind of run through the characters because they're distinct, but they're not compelling because they're archetypes. That you just you have whoever the hell you're just talking about from Boy Meets World, and he plays the like you know he ostensibly has a good heart, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he plays, you know, the kind of virginal, like single guy, sensitive guy who's like has the crush from fourth grade. He's trying to get with, which was such a fucking stupid, I guess, subplot character trait because he vocalizes to her his interest in her, and then at f- at first it seems like she's going to be like, "That's fucking weird. You're being a weirdo." But no, she just tells him a story about someone else who she's known for a long time who kissed her one time. Toby Brown, which was weird. Toby Brown is that his name? Allison is on point with the names here. Well, like I have a reason for remembering that, but go on. Okay, so she tells him a story about Toby Brown who kissed her, and it was gross and weird. But then she kisses him, and that that all happens super early in the movie, and it's all resolved in like. 45 seconds. Yeah. Right. The the lovelorn stuff, that plot's resolved. And so then you expect that the there's going to be drama in once everyone starts dying, that there's going to be something, you know, he wants to save his new girlfriend that he's loved since fourth grade. That hardly ever pl- even plays into no. it either. No. So, yeah. Horrible waste. 
So you got those two characters, and she she doesn't really have any traits. She's just kind of the blonde, Pretty blonde. that's pined mm-hmm. for. And then you have, you know, someone who's portrayed as a, I guess she's supposed to be the hottie or the, the promiscuous one or whatever. And then you have the guy who's drunk and a clown. Yeah, because the pretty blonde girl who kisses the dude who asks her about like his crush on her isn't hot or promiscuous. Like they're the right. same character. Yeah, right. But one well, gets the all, brunette like, the has a, is in a relationship. I think that's the difference between them, right? Oh. The, the brunette is yes. in a relationship yeah, with I the guy. Right. Yeah. So they have a stronger wow. bond, quote unquote. That doesn't make them any more distinct from each other. To me. It doesn't, but it's. You know, and then you have the fifth guy, who's the you know a, alleged hotties boyfriend, who is kind. Of, he's not really a. He's not shown as a jock, but he's kind of the jock archetype. He's yeah. like kind of rich preppy guy who's too good for the rest of them, and that's it. Did, uh, you saying that I cannot honestly remember what he looked like. Well, I watched like, this movie we, we yesterday. Did, we did watch two movies where he was played by two different actors. He's got long blonde either. hair. I don't remember. What oh yeah, him. Okay. he's cute. Yeah, yeah, he's like a pretty boy. And that's another thing about the first movie because the characters are more physically distinct in the first movie. Yeah, that's true. Well, also that character totally fucking. Dis- uh, I I thought this actually, or maybe Brad said this. We were watching one of them. Any one of these characters could have been like left behind at the convenience store at the beginning and come back at the end, and you wouldn't have realized they were missing the entire time. Probably. And yeah. one of the characters does disappear for a long time and when he re-emerged i just like thought i was gonna throw my fucking drink on the floor because i <laughs> forgot he was in the movie <laughs> i mean it's you know it is archetypes i mean but that's classic horror movie shit it reminded me of the cabin in the woods which of course cabin in the woods is referencing this movie and a zillion others like it but even cabin in the woods does a way better job of creating individual characters of each of those five archetypes sure and yeah, Cabin in the Woods. I hadn't seen these Cabin Fever movies before, but I had seen Cabin in the Woods, and I was shocked watching Cabin Fever at how much. Because I, you know, when you I watched Cabin in the Woods, I thought it was mostly ripping off of like Evil Dead, but it seems like it's ripping off of this movie. I thought the same thing more than anything. To me. I've been watching the whole Friday the Thirteenth franchise, and those movies also follow. I mean, like the Harbinger shit, like the creepy old dude at the gas station. That's right from Friday the Thirteenth, and probably there's something even before that that Friday the Thirteenth right. ripped off. I mean, these are all just like tropes that are just run yeah. rampant throughout horror. Well, we're getting mired in talking about our thoughts about the movie and the characters, not really describing much of anything that happens in them. Let's talk about the Harbinger and the first Cabin Fever. Right? Okay. I, I, I liked oh, all those yes. characters, too. I thought they were distinct in the 2002 movie. Yeah, it is kind of... Uh, it's not just one particular character. I'm not Dennis. saying... That. Dennis yeah. is the biting kid. Yeah, Dennis, I know. Uh, whew, Dennis, man, we're going to have to save that for the spoiler room, but Dennis has a scene that uh, I had... Again, I've seen this movie before. I remember... God, it was, what, 2002, so I was, I was 14. I don't know how I saw it, but I saw it, and I remember it being on the cover of Fangoria, I looked it up the other day to make sure I was right. It's a picture of like a woman with half her face eaten off. And I was like, I've got to see that movie. That looks gnarly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I remember seeing this movie in that scene with Dennis being the one thing that stood out to me. Yeah, because it's so yeah. fucking weird and surreal and means nothing to the whole fucking movie. No, not at all. But anyway, in the beginning, these characters, uh, after they sort of like, you know, peel away in their fucking shitty Bronco, like O.J. Simpson out of college. Say, uh, uh, it's a Chevy Blazer. Oh, is it? I'm sorry. Uh, they they wind up at a convenience store, of course, because they have to, and they have a really unsettling interaction with an older man who I reminded me a lot of Zach Galifianakis's, like, Southern Baptist character that he mm. often does. 
I this is extremely problematic. I think we should probably just roll a, a roll the clip. That's, right? That seems like can a good compromise. Can we play some audio and then we can discuss it afterward? Sure. Okay. So, uh what's the fox urine for? Oh, that's for foxes. What's the rifle for? Oh, <laughs> that's the niggers. I remember even as a 14-year-old thinking one that's really unsettling and two like that's just wrong like i hope there's some kind of payoff to that and they're not just going to leave us hanging with that line to it, like throw that word out in a movie like just this. a shock and it's i mean well and it's something again that seems like it might be trying to tell us something about the character or the environment that you're in right now sure but even at this point in the movie you can already tell it's not going to be that kind of movie and so it lands yeah. in a way where you're just like oh yeah that that was fucked up. There was no reason for that to happen. You can you, already, you can already tell that this movie's just kind of playing it for dumb comedy. Yeah. And I wouldn't even say comedy. I mean, it is deeply unsettling if you just take it at face value, but like again, like you just said, we already know what kind of movie this is going to be. You don't need to hammer us over the head with like, yeah, bad things are going to happen. The movie's called Cabin Fever for God's sake. We know what we're getting into just from the poster. As it turns out, it's only the setup for the shittiest fucking punchline in the world that we'll talk about in the spoiler room. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we will. It was useless. At length. Useless yeah. use of that word. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But then also, I mean, we should describe Dennis, because he's so fucking weird. There's this kid named Dennis who sits on the porch at the convenience store, and wait, does he bite somebody right yeah. in that first scene? Yeah, this kid is like a biter. He's just sitting there, and, and it, if, in the first movie, you can't really tell, or I couldn't tell if it was a boy or a girl. Same. I, was very I thought it was hair. a girl. Because he's got this, yeah. like... Duck, he's got a mullet. He's got, like, an extreme mullet. He's got bangs and a mullet. Yeah. It's weird looking. A little, like, Children of the Cornish, you know, like, yeah. super toehead, really, Sit really blonde kid yeah. that looks a little inbred, probably mm-hmm. is. Yeah. And the the obvious like homage is deliverance or something right. where they stop at the convenience store on their way into the woods and there's the creepy kid and they want you know he's a creepy kid so they go over and they try to meet him and the kid just bites the guy's hand or something and and that's Dennis. I mean, I guess he ends up having significance to the plot later, but it's just it's kind of hard. That would be significance. Surreal. I would say he comes back and does something, but I wouldn't say it's. Well, I'm not going to fault the movie for that. You want to have a movie called Cabin Fever where batshit stuff's happening? And you want to have a little kid outside a convenience store who just bites people? And it's it's fun. Whatever. Fucking. It do just it. kind of adds to the hodgepodge effect of the movie, though, because oh, that yeah. doesn't really seem to you know because you think that that has something to do with what's about to happen. That yeah. Dennis is afflicted by something, but no, he's actually fine. Yeah, it's a huge hodgepodge, and even the remake keeps that in. And if they're cutting 30 pages off the script or whatever, you'd think that would be an easy thing to cut. But and They cut one of the pages up into a shitty-looking like bunny rabbit mask and put nuts yeah. on us because oh, they thought that was interesting. I, I LOL'd when, there's like after the teens leave... There's just a random shot of Dennis like standing like with his back to the highway and a semi truck driving by. It's like a jump scare yeah. in broad daylight, and I just oh, laughed. Yeah. Like, what? Why am I supposed to? Right. Like, I got the point. Kid's creepy. Mm. I don't need to see. The, I kind of wished he had been hit by that truck. Yeah. <laughs> hidden. That's and then it not turns a into a pet cemetery. <laughs> Cabin fever. That's how they talk there. <laughs> the past part down in the holler. <laughs> Yeah, the, the second movie kind of alienated me early on because they're trying really hard to like build spooks and jump scares and like forcing it into the script of the first movie. Yeah. It, it does my my least favorite thing in the world. This is one of my biggest pet peeves is when you have like just you know somebody's like sitting in the truck and their friend like taps them on the shoulder and it's accompanied by like a, you know like a musical. Yeah. 
uh, jump scare. God, you fucking hate shit that. Yeah, the, mu- Sorry, the musical elements and I don't know. I think it was the first one. I watched a little bit of it with my boyfriend who's a percussionist and there were a couple of uses, really weird uses of a gong or percussion, oh, yeah? other percussion instruments, and we both look at each other like, "What the fuck was the point of that gong?" Like, yeah. that's, that's it was so forced. Amazing perspective. Yeah. Speaking of music, guys, I I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, I don't know if anybody else noticed this in the credits, but uh, Dave, one of David Lynch's go-to composers, Angelo oh, yes. Delamenti, did music yes. for the first movie. Maybe my favorite thing about the first movie. I'm I'm glad you reminded me of that. I totally forgot about it. There's scenes that are like clearly again with the hodgepodge. There are yeah. scenes with a a very strange deputy that are trying to be straight up Twin Peaks. Love those with, scenes with the basically Twin Peaks music from the guy who did the soundtrack for it behind it. It's I, so fucking weird. But he doesn't do the whole score. He no, just, just three wrote, songs. Like, yeah, is it just three? Yeah. And just, I don't know if they were repurposed or if he recorded them for this movie. Well, one of them is actually called Winston's theme. So, oh, okay. yeah. So that's the specific character from the movie. Winston's the deputy. We mm-hmm. should clarify. Mm-hmm. And that's that's someone to mention. Because he likes to say the word party. Party this man. Guy, I, the party I, man. I, I love these scenes so much. Absolutely the most distinct character in the film. Oh, yeah. Distinct Hands character. Down. Compelling character kind of drew me in to those what? scenes. I was kind of hanging on him a little bit. Like, who is this guy? And also, he shows up and there's like some actual drama and suspense in like that scene compared to the rest of the movie because by this point in the movie, they've already like essentially murdered a backwoods guy on accident. They're trying to get up, get back home and the cops show up and they're like, uh-oh, where are we going to get out of this police officer? And then that character was so distinct that they actually did a 180 on that character for the remake and cast a woman... Instead, Which God damn I would say made zero sense. Oh my God! Her delivering those lines with the the way she was dressed and that fake fucking scar under her eye, it made it. It, it didn't was I liked it. I liked it. This is the kind of thing that you know. I, this is why I wish people would remake movies more often because you see this kind of thing in like theater where someone's like, "I'm gonna set Romeo and Juliet in Compton," or they're like, "I'm gonna you know gender reverse Othello or something," and they they do I mean, it that way. Yes. Yeah, I agree with We're you. We're not talking well, about great theater. Yeah. Give me this face that says he doesn't agree with. It's a me. fucking Eli Roth movie. No. I, point taken. I, I agree that I that I love when when people reinterpret material like that you know Shakespeare a reinterpretation of Shakespeare in an interesting way is fascinating to me but we're talking about a movie that was fucking shitty in the first place <laughs> and the the director of the remake didn't do anything significantly creatively different right. with his remake and his big change is oh I'm gonna make Winston a hot blonde chick this time like well, again it just spoke to the director being essentially a moron well, maybe I'm- not a sociopath but a moron but like you said, Winston was the best, the most fully developed character. Yeah. So that was what gave him interest in the first movie. And we have all these other indistinguishable characters, like we mentioned. And then we have Winston. He's interesting and, and set apart from the rest. So I was looking forward to seeing the Winston of yeah. you know the recreation. Yeah. And I was so fucking disappointed. Oh, right. Well, because Winston, it's done to no actual effect. Like, it doesn't improve upon the original. And right. there's no actual reason to make it a hot bunch of well, here's the thing. Unless it was the chick from Reno 911, which I fully would have supported. <laughs> I imagined her a couple of times. Me too. Yeah. I was fully so disappointed funny. when it wasn't her. Like, who's this bitch? She's, <laughs> oh, she's no one? Awesome. I'm going to come back to this when I, we give our ratings, but... I feel like we already have implicitly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think talk, talk about a story with no suspense. <laughs> if you take this, if you take the remake by itself, I think the co- they, the cop stuff is just much 
worse than in the original. But watching them back to back, which is basically what I did, I watched them. I watched the second one this afternoon and the first one last night. I enjoyed the variety and I liked how they kept largely the same script and they somehow made the scene feel completely different with the woman and the way she delivered the lines. And I'm actually going to play a clip. Uh, We're going to hear Winston the man and we're going to hear Winston the woman delivering some of the same dialogue in the same scene and you'll get an idea what I'm talking about. I like it. We were terrified. We didn't know what to do. That's why we went to look for help today. Hey man, I told you. Alright, I'm going to make a report. Don't worry about it. He ain't going to come back, man. Looks like you guys scared him away pretty good. I ain't gonna let him ruin your fun, all right? Well, thank you. Because I'll tell you, my, my friend's inside right now, and she's pretty freaked out. She wants to go home. We all kind of do. You got a lady friend, huh? Yeah, I bet you'd like to party with the ladies. Look, man, I already told you. Making a report. That guy's not gonna come back and bother you. I'll bet you scared him off pretty good, huh? I wouldn't let him ruin the fun. Thanks, because my friend's inside and she's pretty upset about the whole thing. She wants to go home. We all do. Hmm. Lady friend, huh? I'll bet you like to party. I'll bet you like to party with the ladies. Okay. A couple of people here at this table have said that Winston is the most fully developed character. I would say no. He's the most idiosyncratic character in this movie. He's not developed at all, and there's oh, no. no suspense in the scene. There should be a lot of suspense in the scene where he comes and visits the cabin. I could never get a sense of whether or not he truly understood that a crime may have been committed or that there's something nefarious going on. I never got a sense that like he was posing any kind of threat on the campers. He just wants to party, man. He shows up, he's totally fucking stoned out of his mind, oblivious to everything going on. Sure, there's a little suspense in thinking that, oh, our characters are going to be found out for having killed someone. But beyond that, this guy, he shows up, he sees nothing, he does nothing, and then at the moment where he should come back in the movie, which I guess we could maybe say for the spoiler room, where he's supposed to help out, he still does nothing. There's no reason for him to be there. You could excise him from the film entirely and nothing would change. It's another dead end that we're kind of all talking about, yeah. I think. Yeah, Yeah, I certainly would not say most well-developed. I said most distinct. He's the most interesting. You know, he shows up and you expect a certain thing. You know, we talk about archetypes and you expect a certain thing of a police officer who shows up in this situation and your expectations are reversed in an interesting way. And it is sort of Lynchian, like you said before, Steve. You know, the the you know, because David Lynch's universe is full of characters, sort of archetypes, who are not exactly what you're expecting. And sure. this character certainly fits that bill. So certainly most interesting, but not well-rounded in any way. He's like, yeah, he would have fit in well at, like, you know, the last third of, like, season two of Twin Peaks, where, like, mm-hmm. pe- we all stopped caring, and it's like, whatever, just lay it on me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Be as weird as you want to be. Well, this movie yeah. stopped caring about that shit, like, oh, early on. <laughs> dude. Oh, man, I just had a fucking... Aneurysm? Stroke, yeah. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> no, I just envisioned a buddy cop movie with Winston and David Duchovny's cross-dressing FBI agent from Twin Peaks. I want to see that. Write that. I want to see 
Winston from 2002 Cabin Fever and Winston from 2016 <laughs> Cabin yeah. Fever in a buddy comedy. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Overlapping dialogue, Altman style. <laughs> so how many times did you guys in this movie go like, why the fuck aren't you talking to each other? Why are you lying to each other? And why don't you just say X, Y, Z thing? Like, calm the fuck on, you guys. Just talk. To the point that it's, I would argue, misogynistic. The first girl who gets infected just is dragged along to a cabin and be chained up by herself, never puts up a fucking fight. You see everybody realize this is happening, and then you just see her kind of calmly walking with them as a group to this cabin where they lock her up to essentially die unless they can find help. And then she gets a she gets a little kind of aggressive with them before they finally sort of like close the door on her, but otherwise she just goes along with it. It's like, this is not how people behave, especially in a dire situation like this. No, and I all the time say lie to each other. You know, did you guys find anybody? Yeah, I found somebody, but I caught them having sex with their wife and he pulled the gun at me. So I wasn't able to like talk to him because it looked perverse, but we'll go back tomorrow. I mean, I know that wasn't the point, but it just felt like it was so over the top. It wasn't accidental. It wasn't like, oh, I could see myself miscommunicating that way. It was so exaggerated. Yeah. It just didn't feel real or relatable at all to me. You know, Mm. I don't know. It's like the movie just doesn't care. Yeah, they didn't care. And that's frustrating. It is. It's all about getting to the next you know, yeah. shock, the next like big gore scene. But like even the gore stuff isn't like the kind of if you were writing a script around the gore stuff and you didn't care about anyone's motivations or anything, you could do better than this. Yeah. No, I was and actually let's talk about the gore because we haven't talked about it at all. Yeah. We and gore is pretty much what people go to this movie for. I think. Yeah. Anybody who likes it, I don't think likes it for the characters. Maybe for Winston. Um. But uh. Yeah, I was disappointed, especially because, you know, I haven't seen Hostel, but I've heard Hostel is fucking gruesome as fuck, and I know this movie certainly has a reputation for being pretty oh, intense, and pretty And let me gory. tell you, Hostel has the same problems, but it is very gruesome, yeah. yes. Yeah, but I was disappointed. I mean, there are mm, two, no, like one really, really memorable scene. Like, mm. the leg shaving scene yeah. made me squirm like a motherfucker both times I saw same. it. Same. The second horrifying. one was way worse. Yeah. Also. I mean, that's really nicely done, but otherwise, I was not impressed. I thought the gore in the second one was significantly better than the first. Yeah. In my opinion. I was glad to see that, because of the gore in the first one, I was disappointed. Like, you really can't even bring that. Mm-hmm. The the leg shaving scene got under my skin, so to speak, more <laughs> in the first one. Really? Actually. Yeah, because you, in case people haven't seen it, yeah, basic premise is there's a girl who's got this flesh eating disease, and she's somehow for some reason taking a bubble bath, shaving her legs, uh, and after sex, after sex, <laughs> and so she's shaving her legs, and then of course as she's like pe- shaving away the shaving cream, you see that like she's also taking off pieces of her flesh oh and God. bits and stuff, and it's very. But, but I thought the first movie did a better job of kind of showing the long streaks and actually making me feel like she was like slicing into herself yeah i'm squirming again thinking about it right now. i have to tell you i shaved my legs yesterday and i had this thought and i laughed out loud to myself in the shower alone which is always a fun moment (laughs) but you know you look at your legs when you're putting the soap on so again, I was like, how are you not seeing that your leg is decrepit? It wasn't you know? like that when she put the soap on. It happened that fast. Yeah. Well, maybe. Presumably. Yeah. You know, in the second one, it was. And they showed you that the leg was like that before. And oh, she they? was just too busy crying. Yeah, because I really honed in on that. I could, that's oh. a relatable moment for me. I shave my legs, you know, four times a week. But I just was like, come, I, I put... I look at my leg when I put the soap on. <laughs> yeah. The first one, I agree, the leg scene was more... Um, 
Yeah, it was better. But you said the second one got you more. The second one, she had that flap of skin hanging, oh, and it was, was just... It was more I said the gore. It was, more, I said it was the clearly gore. a prosthetic leg. It wasn't her leg. And in the first movie, which uh, Greg Nicotero did the special effects for, is somebody who's like read horror magazines for a long time. He's like a legend. He does like everything for The Walking Dead now. But oh, he's nice. been He's worked with like Romero and you know uh, Tarantino before. Uh, that stuff looks really cool. In the second movie, the leg shaving scene didn't work for me because I was like, clearly that is not actually her leg. They've got something sticking up and it looks like a little bit of flab going on there. I think it got like, a little too close for me because I, really? you know, I do that. You guys don't shave your legs. I have. So maybe it's... I used to... We should talk more about our personal lives on yeah. the show, guys. Okay. I used to shave my legs. Okay. Yeah. Well, then maybe you are Not the a pleasant exception. experience. And yeah, I can only imagine if for a man with thick hair, it was painful enough as it were. Uh, I think that's just a moment that like, you know, in our busy lives for women, we're shaving our legs. We're doing it as quickly as possible. It only adds another 30 seconds to our shower routine. But there's always that like in my horror movie brain, which is always sort of like, what if I was in a horror movie right now? You know, like. Yeah, that's a little. How could this go wrong? Exactly. And here I thought this was a movie that didn't relate to women at all. <laughs> well, I'd, let me bring thing. up another really problematic yes, scene. Yes, please. Uh, Let's get there because that's essential to my rating. Probably. <laughs> are, are we going to talk about the scene where a a, yeah. a woman is uh, finger banged while she's asleep? Yeah, we are. And, and <laughs> I will say, oh, in the second movie, she, at least she was awake when it was happening. And that's actually but, that's actually important because when we talk about the problematic stuff, whether it's the you know bigoted slurs or the sexual violence, in between 2002 and 2016, someone looked at the script and was like, "Okay, this yeah. is actually fucked up." I, I would argue it needs another update now, post Me Too movement. Totally, I had that same thought. No, we don't need another version of this movie. Exactly. Well, that too. <laughs> I will, you know, we need no more remakes of this movie. Let's do it. Let's let's do it. As Chris once <laughs> said, screw it, fuck it, damn it. <laughs> um, but no, yeah. So so you want to explain the 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 scene? I mean, I don't remember who was doing what. Well, that's but, very uh, important. It was yeah. Karen and Paul because it was Karen and Paul. So it's our Boy Meets World. Yes, Ryder Strong, supposed good guy. Who is and he was riding her strongly. A, a, he's, a, he's ostensibly the protagonist of the movie, and he's the only one who like we're led to like sympathize with it all or think maybe right. he's a good guy. He's at got heart. a moral compass. Yeah. And yeah, he's got a crush on her. He finds her asleep, and he and she's split. finally recipro- reciprocated the crush, and she invites him to kind of sleep in bed with her, and then at some point while they're sleeping, he stirs in this kind of dreamy, romantically shot. For I thought it was a dream sequence at first. That was the longest shot. Yeah, I can too. see that. You, I can see why you would say it that. It seems so out of character for the character as he had been presented, and it seems so shot in this weird kind of ethereal w- way. Uh, but yeah, basically, he just you know runs his hands down and molests her while she's sleeping, and then I thought she was awake. No, no she must have this dead with the no second one. Asleep, no consent no at all. Consent. So basically, this guy and, and does she never wake up until like she wakes up. Event, you know, eventually, and at the moment she wakes up, the gag it, supposedly is that God, he's so actually been putting his fingers into a gaping, flesh-eating wound on her thigh. Yeah, which was growing. another moment that I found like actually 
yeah, scary it's an and effective horrifying. moment. And but what it takes to get there is uh, utterly juvenile and offensive. It's juvenile and offensive, especially because of the character they had doing it and yeah. how. Like, if this was a, a character who had been presented to us if as this a was scumbag, the guy wielding the gun, if this or something, was the guy who was right. drinking and with the gun and talking about coming up here to bang chicks and stuff, and we knew that he like wasn't a good guy, I'd be like, okay, I, that makes sense, but. Well, she was in a super vulnerable emotional state, too, because yeah. she was having a really hard time with the fact that they Killed the guy. accidentally <laughs> burned the guy to death and she wanted to go home. And then she didn't feel well because she was the first one that contracted this virus. So, yeah, it wasn't characteristic of, of the way his character was presented. I agree. It was a weird And the fact departure. that it just made it into this movie, that's, I think, exhibit A on like, oh, Eli Roth, psychopath. Or, so, or maybe not a psychopath, but just dumb as fuck and immature. And twelve immature. years old. I will. I think it's safe to say immature, and I don't. I don't think that would hurt anybody's feelings to use that word. Like this I looked this like up to see when he made this movie, and he was like, he wrote it in his mid twenties while he was working for Howard Stern, which is probably informative. Ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. What, what did he do for Howard Stern? Um, he was a pro, he was an assistant on Private Parts, and I. Th- I think if I read the Wikipedia correctly, he did something in Howard Stern's studio, but right. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Private Parts movie I saw. Can we look up when that came out? I think it was 94 or something. 94. However old I was, 8, 9, I saw it when it came out <laughs> on video. That's also informative. Probably explains everything you need to know about me. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Bye, Steve's <Yeah>. Mom. <laughs> But yeah, no, but he made, he wrote this in his mid-twenties, and then he actually shot it like when he was like 30 or something like that. I'm like, by the time you're 30, you should have a little more humanity. You know better. You should probably have some fresh scripts to work on as well if you're... Like, <laughs> hey, man, I've been weight. working on Pizza Face Killer for like six years. I mean, I say this also having like two scripts I've been working on for 10 fucking years, but... Chris and I are still deep in production of our horror film oh, yeah. for the past what, three years. Yeah, it's like two... Th- it's like one-third shot. <laughs> you know, David Lynch uh, made a racer head over a period of five years dude that is how i make myself feel better about there's literally a scene where lapse in production on our film there's a scene where it's inspiring there's a scene where jack nance gets into an elevator and i think it's like i don't i can't remember it's like at least a year later when it cuts to him getting off the elevator Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's craziness Mm -hmm. so you guys can finish your movie it's fine thank you try not to age too much more Oh, yeah, I know. It's getting rough. <laughs> were, were you guys able to figure out how everyone contracted the virus? Because I found that a little bit challenging, too. Oh, it gets well, tricky, but the water's the main thing. Well, right, but, like, there's a moment where each of them, where you go, oh, Karen's fucked. Paul's fucked. And then, Mar- Marcy's yeah. fucked. You know, and I was God, like... I, I still I don't... Of... I can't conjure images of these people as you're saying. <laughs> yeah, no, me neither. I mean, that's... I'm glad so, you remember them, Like, though. you know, you talk about the scene, the, the finger-banging scene, and I didn't react to it in the same way because... The movie had given me so little to go on. I didn't know enough about Paul's character for that even to feel out of character to me. I was just like, okay, this is one of the douchey dudes. You know. Yeah, I get what Chris means, though. Yeah. With, uh, they give you an archetype, and they kind of, in my mind, rely on your knowledge of that archetype to kind of... Yeah, He hasn't seen. behaved heinously so far, and he does seem to fill the archetype of sort of like the... Yeah, sort of the virginal is the perfect word for it. Uh, the virginal hero, and then it's shocking when he does this. It'd be shocking if anyone did it, but it's especially shocking because you're expecting like this to be a moment of like 
catharsis for him that he's finally getting a girl and he does it in just the worst possible way well then how about later in the movie when he like fucks the other guy's girlfriend yes <laughs> like what it's like uh the worst porno script in the world it was- <laughs> is he a surrogate for eli roth I, yeah we should also mention eli roth cameos in this movie as himself ostensibly oh God, yeah, i forgot about that <laughs> soul patch and all oh i was so worried that he was going to show up again in the same role in the 2016 one he's in it somewhere can someone tell Maybe. me where he he's was in the, in the first movie oh, he was I missed the, it. he played the bowling alley employee in did the, he i oh. thought he played the guy with the dog he plays both oh oh i didn't even notice him as the guy with the dog yeah, he's like the douchey, like hippie ass guy with the dog that has the giant bag of weed. Grim. Which mm. who carries around that oh, much? That weed? He was hilarious. Grim. Yeah. That's Eli Roth. Grim also like one of the few characters in this movie who actually registers in any way, but also then means fucking nothing. But he's he's a cartoon caricature of it of like yeah. a douchebag hippie to the point where it almost makes you feel like the filmmaker who made the movie and acts as that character like thinks that kind of guy is cool. Mm. Like, the X, like doesn't like the realize X that it's a joke guy. to us. Hey, yeah. anyone who yeah. like, carries around a pound and a half of weed is pretty cool. A friend indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Grimm's character in the first movie was way cooler than Grimm's character in the second movie. Oh, yeah. I was also anticipating what Grimm would be like, and I was like, what the fuck? This sucks. Imagine if they had just, like, they had the money to do it. Same movie. The remake's exactly the same, but for Grimm, he comes out of the woods, it's like Martin Sheen. <laughs> <laughs> What? I don't know about that. Just like one like A list, maybe actor Charlie or something Sheen. like like yeah, Charlie inserted Sheen. into that. Maybe role. Emilio Estevez. <laughs> we're gonna go a tier lower. So there were a lot of dogs. Dogs were kind of a yeah. big thing in this movie. I don't know if we want to get into that, but I was I love dogs. So and this that, was hard for you. I mean, there were a couple points where I was like, I don't care if everyone dies, just don't hurt the dog. No, Stephen hates have when we animals seen die. How many fucking movies? I said this aloud while watching the first Kevin Fever. How many movies have we seen now where there is a dog that is either already dead or is brutally murdered in the first 60 seconds? We can add this yeah. one to the list. Right. And the thing is, it doesn't do anything for me. It's for no effect. It's kind of just a plot device. I don't have a problem with killing dogs. Let me mention The Conjuring, James Wan. Great movie. I saw it in the theater on a weekend with a general audience. And within the first 10 minutes of that movie, the family moves into a new house and they bring along with them a little dog that's very cute. And the dog's on the porch, like, yapping and wagging its tail. And, like, the whole audience, which has been, like, a, a dirtbag audience, like, whispering and talking and stuff, they all, like, were riveted. We're like, ah, and, like, like, this movie had the whole audience in the palm of their hands when that dog showed up on screen. And then, of course, two scenes later, the dog dies, not graphically, but it's just found dead. Like, you know, something has killed the dog, and we yeah. don't know what. And, like, that got the whole audience, and it got everyone into the movie, and, and it got them spooked. Isn't and that so, funny? Great it's, use of a dog in People that really movie. like dogs more than humans, I would argue. Right. It's a great way to, yeah, to, I, I remember noting this. God, I'm going to sound so fucking pretentious, and none of you are going to know what this movie is, but uh, Vittorio De Sica's, uh, he did The Bicycle Thieves, Umberto D. is a great movie. Everyone should see it. I think it's a great lesson in human nature. This is, it's like the perfect example of like taking an unredeemable character and making them likable because of how they react to an animal. Yeah. And that's pretty much the whole movie. I think it's a cool, it's a great tool to use to play in the audience's sympathies. It can be. I, it can be. This movie, I don't know. I just felt like it was sadistic yeah. through and through. No, this movie wastes the animal. Most of the animals, movies we've seen waste the animals. It's like, there's a dead dog. And I'm like, oh. And then it's on to something else. 
There were a couple dead dogs, though. There were a couple dogs in this movie, and their names were really amazing. Like, so there was Pancakes. Dr. Mambo. And Dr. Mambo. Pancakes and Dr. Mambo. You know, so we just saw Train to Busan, and that starts off with the the deer who's fucked up, and the deer has been affected by the zombie plague, and I think we all agreed that that was pretty effective, you know, and I think it can be, and in Cabin Fever, to me, it actually was. That first scene in the original is a pretty effective way of showing sort of the beginnings of something that's about to happen. It's sort of like before it goes to the next level of humans being affected by the blood plague. Blood Glacier. Yeah, or Blood Glacier. Yeah, <laughs> Cujo. Cujo. Sure. Why not? And no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like I know what the you mean. animal like is like the forerunner. Showing... Yeah, yeah, the forerunner of whatever it's the, the plague or the thing that's about to affect everybody else. It's an effective and unsettling way of introducing you to again the plague, the virus. You can't really call it the antagonist because it is, but it's so not a, a point a that it's a trope a that I'm really tired of. I didn't even really like it in Trinity Sun, except yeah. I thought it was a cool special effect. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a movie where humans get it first and they all die and then the dogs slowly get it. it that's called... Um, like post-apocalyptic Milo and Otis. That no, it's called it's sweet. called The Plague Dogs. It's a book by Richard Adams who did Watership Down. It's all been done. Yeah, it's all been done. But you could do it again with your own spin. But speaking of The Plague, I, I think a, one big final difference between the original and the remake is the original comes up, gives you its concept right up front, and I thought it was inventive. This guy who's been infected gets killed, and his body ends up in the reservoir, supplying the drinking water to the cabin how does he get infected from his dog i see i, I didn't put that together yeah. the dog like sprays shit all that was over the second one though no that was the first one too okay i missed it yeah. I it just happens in a slightly different way in this in the first movie you could blink approximately 100 times before he realizes that the obviously dead dog is dead <laughs> and then he becomes infected in the second movie he walks up to the dog and it just fucking explodes right, like something out of the yeah. thing <laughs> right but the body, the guy's body's in the reservoir, and so everyone gets it if they drink the drinking water from the cabin. And then there's a subplot where two guys have a bet that they're going to go the whole weekend only drinking beer, yeah. which sounds like a really cool device, but it doesn't amount to anything. Yeah, and you never he- see them do that. Right. Like it's it's supposed to be, I realized when I watched the remake that there's a moment when f- someone finally switches to water, but it doesn't really register because you haven't really seen people drinking beer. Like, that hasn't well, been driven home that that's what they're doing. Well, call and say, oh, you lost the bet. Yeah, yeah. And right. I didn't understand what the fuck they were talking about. In the second it was one, a one line. Yeah. In yeah. the second one, I think they cut the bet out. And no, I, no, no. I, it's I, in there because I understood that it more from the second, the second one. Yeah. Remember that. Yeah. Do you remember them making the bet or just him calling them out on losing both. the bet? I remember both in okay. both movies, but I only remember them calling him out in the second movie. They called Me him out too. in the first. Yeah, right. They in did. the second movie, I think they cut out the bet and they kind of put that in as like a reference to the first movie. Oh, you could be right, actually. No, they, they make the bet around the fire. Yeah. Around the fire with Grim. In the second one? Both of them. Mm-hmm. Same exact. I'm the second watch one it again. Sure. Don't. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the first movie has all this suspense because you know the audience knows it's in the water. It's the whole Hitchcock bomb under the bed thing. There's a lot of play with like pouring glasses of water and but like not drinking it and stuff like that. And and it's it's fun and it's a great kind of suspense device. The second movie. Everything happens the same way, but except you don't know there's a dead body in the reservoir until like the very end of the movie. And then it's not dead. And then it's not dead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Spoilers. He's not dead. But it, it, lots of mystery and suspense missing from the second movie just because they made that weird change for what? I don't know. It's like not a good twist that there's a guy in the reservoir. 
no. after you've already drank all the water. Well, the second movie, it's not even a reservoir. It's a fucking lake or pond or something. It's like, what? There's a but sign. there's a sign that says it's a reservoir. And it's <laughs> that called, really bothered me, too. Isn't it called Crystal Lake, by the way? Ooh. And isn't that the same as the fucking lake? That in is the Friday, Friday 13th. 13th yeah. Thing, but yeah. I don't. I didn't hear that in. I didn't this hear movie. Crystal Lake either. I'm gonna look. I'm surprised it, was it wasn't lake. called. Or maybe it was Dogs Lake. Reservoir. <laughs> wow, wow. Taking some time to sink in because you know we know Eli is a Tarantino yeah. wannabe. Can I, can we talk about one of my favorite differences in one of the quotes? Absolutely. So I referenced this a little bit earlier um, when Karen, the blonde, who. Uh, is sought after by Sean. Uh, his character's name is Sean in Boy Meets World, but his name is Paul in the movie. Um, Sean Paul. You know, she's telling a story about how this guy, uh, Toby Brown. Do you remember Toby Brown? And in the first movie, Paul goes, yeah, the guy with the CDs. She said, yeah, he tried to kiss me and it was gross. The guy with the CDs. I the, like that. The guy the, with the CDs. In the I like, second movie. Writing. Do you know Toby Brown? Yeah, the guy with OCD. <laughs> what? <laughs> no fucking way! Totally, wow. I missed that. I laughed really hard because I was like, "It's maybe... the same guy." I mean, the yeah. guy with the CDs, the guy with OCD. But it's like, Makes okay, 2016 CDs yeah. aren't a thing anymore. Let's Wait, are you sure you didn't mishear one of them? I potentially did, but I watched both with the subtitles, so I was like trying to be sure. But I'm going to go with that they moder- they modernized Toby Brown's. Well, that ailment. changes the I story. Like, <laughs> not really. <laughs> it was just like a weak ass attempt to go like, well, that doesn't really make sense anymore. Well, and in this we'll in the OCD remake, now. there's the fucking guy who's like obsessed with video games, and he mentions Minecraft, and I'm like pretty sure by 2016, Minecraft was like on the decline. You wouldn't be like upset that you couldn't play Minecraft if you were in a cabin. Yeah, probably not. But so, there's a lot of like weird attempts in the rewriting of it to make it more relevant, and it still feels just as dated in 2016 as the original did in 2002. You know what I mean? Like yeah. The 2002 yeah. script feels like it was written in like 1998. The 2016 script feels like it was written in like 2012. 2012. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. It's behind the times. Uh, another interesting stray note I want to mention as we were talking about these characters, I didn't think to bring it up. The fashion in these movies is really interesting and in how bland it is. I feel like both movies, everyone was outfitted by Old Navy. <laughs> <laughs> As I wrote down in my notes, oh, I like the updated Old Navy fashion when I was watching the 2016 Yeah, it's film. just like whatever was on the mannequin, they just took it off. Well, exactly. It's like their their clothing is as bland as their character traits. Well, Marcy, let's talk about Marcy the brunette, because her her vibe really changed from the first to the second movie. Yeah. So the first movie, you know, she had like big tits that looked fake to me. She was super hot. You know, they were all really good looking. In the second movie, she had like two pierced nipples, like tattoos all over her body yeah she was a little mm. alternative she really they really did something with that character it was a bit more like whoa this isn't the marcy that i knew in 2002 you know <laughs> she Marcy's changed really like got some edge now yeah oh my god that like there's like a montage like a sex montage with her that was downright Damn erotic right. for me Nasty. it was skanky <laughs> i liked it i liked it too I'm like okay at least if this movie can get one thing right like this is how people fuck like i didn't really That's get that from the first fuck. movie yeah something should maybe as a model they should show that in middle school health classes since we're building a, a i don't sl- know about that steven <laughs> since we're slowly building a case about how eli roth is a psychopath and we mentioned the sex scene uh, I did read. This is the people v. Eli Roth yeah. right here. <laughs> I did read on Wikipedia that 
there was a dispute on set with the hot girl in the first movie and Eli Roth because she didn't want to show quite as much nudity during her second sex scene. She didn't want to show her ass, I guess. And Eli Roth, I guess, they negotiated it and they came to a compromise where they would show one inch of her ass crack. And Eli Roth, according to Wikipedia, the most reliable source. Of course. I guess measured it. And then they, like, taped the sheets up. So this is a brunette girl. Right. There was way more than one inch of her crack of ass, because I had a moment where I was like, they're showing so much of her ass crack right now, now that you're saying it. Hmm. In the first movie. No, no. Sorry. The second movie. Oh, I'm talking about the first movie. My bad. By by, With Eli Roth. And, yeah, because then she's totally nude in the the second movie, the same character, different director. But, But that's, you know... That's actually one of the things, like, once we get past the Me Too stuff with, like, where the director's actually, like, raping people, which is important, we're getting into the Me Too stuff where there's, like, directors who are coercing actresses into uncomfortable things when there's a huge power differential on the set, and they don't have any representation on set. Can I mention something? Because this actually, I wrote down in my notes that the one thing that bothered me in this movie is kind of a horror trope. A gratuitous slow motion ass shot at one mm-hmm. point in the film. Do you know what what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's clothed. That's why I was. Is that the same character? The male gaze. That is the same character. So he's like, all right, well, if I can't show your full ass, I'm gonna slow down on your ass in this one shot where it's in the center of the frame to get you back. If that was a deliberate choice for that reason, it had to be. Maybe not for that reason, but it was a deliberate choice because there's no other slow motion in the entire movie, and it is really weird. Yeah, I and remember that scene. If. I ever find out that that was a choice made as retribution? Oh my god. Eli Roth's dead to me. <laughs> well, he's already dead. I'll to give me. him the flesh eating disease myself. <laughs> There's something about these gratuitous ass shots that I just never register. This is like the second You're movie. You're just like, where oh, I that's don't... how a woman's ass should look on screen. <laughs> no, I just I don't even remember it at all. Oh, I do. This I would think like, it's like what it's was not... the other movie we watched recently where you guys were talking about a gratuitous ass shot and I didn't I literally it wasn't like I disagreed with you. I just don't remember it. It was the one in the um asylum. Yeah. What, what was that? What the fuck that was called? I don't know. Uh, I, I bleed. <clears throat> oh. Bleed. Oh yeah, Batid, yeah. Batid. Just a just a couple of ass men, y'all are. I know it's not something oh, it was I, obvious, I, I, I notice it because it offends me and I feel sorry for these actresses. And again, not to be it's a not prude. sexy. You want to show some ass and titties like, yeah, it's fine. As long as the, <laughs> as long as the actress seems like she's game for it and the movie is like framing it yeah. in the right way. Go like watch it's under the skin. <laughs> I don't know if that's an apples to apples comparison, but. Anyway, all right. Are we I'm going to review these movies? We need to, yeah, yeah we need Jesus to fucking Christ. Right. Tell you what, I'll I've start. got cabin fever. I'll start for a change. <laughs> are we going to review each movie, or are we just going to go? Because I could just bundle them together into one one big screw, and I'll <laughs> it, just start it's out. It's your prerogative, but I do, I do need a rating for each movie. Okay. I, do, I do need to know your rating for each movie. Oh, sure. so we can add them to the list. So, so we can add them to the list We've got website. a list if you guys want to see any of the ratings, what we've rated every movie ever all right, on I'm, our site. <sighs> I'm actually super, super torn on the first one. Are you Rip Torn? <laughs> Is Rip Torn still alive? I think so. Hope so. Let me tell you, I'll give the sec- I'll give the remake a screw it right off the bat, just because it it has everything I disliked about the first movie and nothing that I liked about the first movie. The first movie. Uh, I'm delivering so much. I guess I have to give it a cue. It sadly. As much as I, as much Don't as be I, ashamed. No, there's got to be something no. between 
acuteness crude, I feel. I wish we could adjust the ratings. But here's the mind blower. The double bill, both of them, together, in the same night even... <laughs> I give that a view it. Wow. <laughs> what? Because watching both of these movies back to back was a very interesting experience for me. Totally and, agree. And for someone who's interested in, in movie making and what makes a movie work and what makes it don't work, very interesting experience. I would recommend <laughs> anyone watch them both together. But apart, I would probably not recommend them. Watch it. Are you sure you don't want to say that again? <laughs> You said what makes it work and what Who makes cares? it don't work. Who cares? We know what he meant. I'm good. Oh, okay. You know what? All Sometimes right. I don't talk good. <laughs> <laughs> Me talk pretty someday. <laughs> I don't know. Is that good enough? Is that... Yeah, totally. I'm going out on a limb with that cue it. I, I, I like s- it. I want to screw it just on principle. No, I like that you're being like, honest uh, and forgiving. Yeah, but if you're listening, you know how I feel about this movie. So, anyway. Patrick. And screw the fuck out of both of them. <laughs> I mean, I might have sort of deliberated over the first one, if not for that shitty fucking ending that we will get to eventually that is just so fucking wrong in so many ways. Other than that, it's a very, you know, excluding that, which pissed me the fuck off, it's still a really mediocre, haphazard movie made by a guy who thinks he's the shit and is not. The second one actually offended me less but it's still not good, and I couldn't re- recommend it to anyone. I guess I can sort of... Are we also rating the the experience of watching them back-to-back as well? It's are we doing optional. That? You don't need to. I mean, I guess I, I guess I can kind of endorse that. It's an interesting exercise. I've, it's been an interesting discussion. It was interesting for me to compare them, but they both fucking suck. Steven? Uh, screw them both for different reasons. I mean, I wish I'd give my hardest screw it of any film I think that we've seen so far in our journey to the remake of Cabin Fever because mm. it is wow. one of the most cynical films I've ever seen. It's the, absolutely appalling to me that a studio could, or that a director stepping into the producer's chair could make such an obvious and lazy cash grab. Just taking the same fucking script, barely updating it, making a movie, trying to sell you the same piece of shit twice. Like I, it, it, it's a sin in my book. I watch, and, and the first film, yeah, Eli Roth is a douchebag. It's got great gore, but it doesn't have the script or the ideas to support it. I would say, screw it. Don't even bother with it. The experience of watching them together, I would give it cue it, because I watch them uh, on subsequent nights as somebody also who is interested in, in uh, screenwriting and in filmmaking, aspiring to do both at some point more in my life, it's a great exercise. You can learn so much just by seeing what works, what doesn't work, what changes they had to make to update it for a different era, how having a different actor in the same role can drastically affect what's written on the page. I enjoyed that. I would say if you're if you're interested in the craft of filmmaking, go for it, because there's nothing like it except... The, the psycho experience, you know, Hitchcock's original and Gus Van Sant's shot for shot remake. I'm astonished that both of you guys were more offended by the second one than the first one. Not, the mm, second one was way less offensive. To not me. more offended, just the first one was more interesting. Sure, it was interesting in some instances because it was offensive. Right. That kept me going through it. Yeah. I still gave it a screw. But the remake, (laughs) I haven't seen such a safe and sterile remake of a movie since The Force Awakens. I kid. I knew knew we don't need any more hot takes in this. (laughs) I knew you had a big joke you were golden up to there. You've been very patient. Let's hear your ratings. I I was kind of dreading this moment. I watched these movies, you know, one night apart, 
And I almost feel like I wish I had watched them years apart. Obviously, for the sake of this podcast, I wasn't able to do that. (laughs) But for the sake of like really wanting to appreciate them, I was like, I wish that I had watched them years apart from one another, because then I think I could have appreciated different things about them. Um, I really wanted to like them both. I think the first one, I, I finished. The ending really fucked me up because it was just so bad. It was so bad. Like, the credits rolled, and I was like, no fucking way. Uh-huh. And it was after this really tasteless joke that I was like, fuck this. Oh, yeah. Anything that I might have liked about this movie has kind of gone out the window, and now it's making me look through the lens of everything I hated about this movie because the end was so sour for me. I would say screw it to the first one. I agree with Patrick that the second one definitely offended me less. And I think that there was an attempt made to, like, put together some of those pieces from the first one that were disjointed and didn't make sense and were sort of like the kitchen sink that we talked about. You know, that Eli Roth attempted to do all these genres in one or all these, you know, sort of gimmicks in one movie. I think the second movie made an attempt to make it a little more cohesive or a little bit more something, made sense of it a little bit better. I actually liked the gore in the second one. My expectations were pretty low. I didn't hate it. But I felt very unnerved watching them back to back with a script that was almost verbatim with actors that were equally as terrible <laughs> with characters that I actually kind of liked from the first one being like cast horribly in the second one. And it was just like the whole experience watching them back to back. I would say, fuck, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Because it just makes a shitty experience sh- twice shittier. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to say screw it to them both. And I really thought I might sit here tonight and give one of them a cue it. And now I I don't regret my vote. You're probably right. She just had like a Patrick level moral crisis on Mike about her rating. (laughs) I've done this a few times where I'm like, well, you know, I'm really torn about this, you guys. And then I like work through my, it's like I'm seeing my movie therapist or something. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I'm on the couch. I feel good about my vote. And I say, fucking don't waste your time. I'm probably going to regret my cue it vote, but I'm not changing it. Well, I'm not going to regret going down at the spoiler room so we can get into the nitty gritty of these turds. Yeah, because we've discussed like pretty much everything except the garbage man ending of that first one. So. You know, speak for yourself. I, I, I did oh, not is there mind still more the to ending, talk about? So we can argue oh, about that. Oh man, I am fascinated room. to have this conversation. Yeah. All right. See you down there soon. Go watch both these movies, or come on down and we'll spoil them all in just a few seconds. Don't watch them. Welcome back. We're in the spoiler room now, talking about not one, but two cabin fevers. What the hell happens in these movies that pissed you guys off so much? <laughs> I mean, I'm just, let's launch right into it. There's no time to waste here. We we begin the first cabin fever with, you know, a line that we, we played earlier. I'm not going to rehash it. It's very unsettling. You wonder. Inflammatory. Inflammatory. Uh, unlike cucumber, which is anti-inflammatory, I love cucumber. This is the opposite of cucumber. Yeah. Cucumber, spinach, it's more like a pickle. Give me that. My nipples look great after <laughs> I eat spinach and cucumber. <laughs> it's uh, a line that you you kind of expect that there's got to be some. Wait, what? Yeah, it, you know, it's it's. Why it's, are your nipples? Did you just say your nipples look great when you eat 
spinach. And yeah, it keeps me from like retaining water and getting puffy in my whole body. Oh, yeah. So it's a it's a your nipples are more taut. One might say after you eat spinach. And you can cucumbers. describe it how you want. <laughs> anyway, Stephen. Yeah, go ahead, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, you know, I wouldn't say that in that opening scene you expect any kind of payoff to that line. But I think it is so uh, inflammatory that one has to wonder what's going on in this town beyond like how does how does how do these characters who seem to be sort of racist and threatening tie into the larger narrative? Mm-hmm. Like, there's no reason for this guy to say this or for us as an audience to hear this unless there's going to be some kind of ramification of that. Cut to the end. Anybody want to describe the last, like, 60 seconds of the original (laughs) Cabin Fever? Yeah, so we get to the end. Everybody's basically dead. One of the generic male characters, who appears to be the only survivor, gets gunned down by the cops as he, like, proudly walks out of the house proclaiming that he's been the only survivor. And then we get back to the the Hicks at the general store. And just a tacked-on scene, kind of. And they're... Oh, I guess it's because they're all now drinking contaminated water, right? Lemonade. Yeah, they're drinking lemonade that some little kids have made, and they're selling it to the police officers and the people outside the convenience store. And then an SUV rolls up uh, with a few black people in it, and there's, like, just the most generic, like, hip-hop track is playing (laughs) as they roll up. And they walk into the store, and what the the one one of the black guys is like, "Oh, do you have the you have the thing for us or whatever?" And the guy takes down the gun before that he referenced in the earlier line. He's like, "Oh yeah, here you go." And we can play the clip of what he says to them. Here you go, all polished and everything. Isn't that a beauty? Look at that, honey. Looks like it's brand new. Yeah, well, man. Hi, my niggas. How are you? What's up, niggas? What you doing? Where you been, man? Where you been? Now I can't do it like y'all. And so the whole joke is that he, like, doesn't know how to pronounce this word. And this is, like, the final bit. This is, like, the big punchline. Okay, we're sending you out here. And then we've got, like, the black people and the rednecks all standing around, like, listening to, like, hillbilly banjo picking music. And that is the end of the movie. That's Eli Roth sending us out. Well, the final shot is is that... semi-truck of spring water or whatever kind of water that's coming from presumably the reservoir that's contaminated everyone that's leaving the station and going to it's implied that they're going to poison every rest of the world i don't don't even remember that because i think i was just shell-shocked i would have preferred there be no payoff to that I, i mean it doesn't work as a joke for me and at least Originally, I can give it the benefit of the doubt where I'm like, all right, they're trying to say something about the backwoods nature that this, mm-hmm. of where this place is set. That they distrust outsiders, right. whether they be black or they be white college students. Right. Like, it's just they, they, they're threatened by anyone who's encroaching on their territory. That's enough. I don't need this douchey-ass joke in here. Douchey joke. Yeah. douchey joke. Especially because in the end, it... it because it's the final scene and the final line of the movie, it feels like that was supposed to have been the point or something. Right. Or that was supposed to be have been the tone of the whole... It, God, it just lands like a fucking... It doesn't <laughs> land. It crash lands. I don't know. I the don't call know back the to... I'm still speechless whole, about this whole thing. <laughs> this whole time, this guy at the convenience store that we thought was a racist piece of shit was actually just really good at shining and cleaning a rifle. Yeah. And these black people were really grateful to him that he shined and cleaned their rifles so well like what the fuck where do we know where where there are where is this set geographically 
It uh, feels like the South in the first movie. I don't know if they ever say or, it. You know. It's vague. No, I don't think yeah. they do say it's it. It feels like a little like West Virginia, maybe not deep yeah. South, but maybe kind of, you know, yeah. then sort of The south. second movie looks and feels and was shot in the Pacific Northwest. It's yeah. like they're in a rainforest half the time. Yeah. It's beautiful. Beautiful. The second movie shot beautifully. Yeah. It looks yeah. great. Looks like an X-File could take place there at night. <laughs> it does. But yeah, this was so bad. And need I remind you that Eli Roth, of course, is the same man who decided 2018 was a good time to bring back Death Wish. Jesus oh, Christ. Oh, God, I forgot you that know, he directed that. With old-ass white man Bruce, Bruce Willis, Willis. <laughs> doing vigilante justice with the barrel of a gun uh. in the city streets. How is Eli Roth even still a thing? Uh, well, and Allison reminded us today that he's got this new AMC series coming out where apparently he's yeah. now an authority on the history of horror. And he's oh, the... and yet he's demonstrated no mastery of the form in his 20-year career so far. He just directed a movie called The House with the Clock in Its Walls. Which is top of the box office, I think, Stephen Super said. Super yeah. top of the yeah. box office this past weekend. Yeah. He directed that movie. Yeah, That's how... not a horror movie, though. It's, it's a it's... children's... It's based on like a kind of a gothic children's novel, uh, and he's turned it into more of a... It looks like especially because Jack Black is in it. To me, it looks more like it's in the vein of like the Goosebumps movie. Hmm. But apparently there are horror elements. Well, I'll have to go see it and see if he's sending any psychopathic signals to children. Don't don't (laughs) give him any more of your money. Maybe he's grown. I don't know. People can change. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, between he 2002, just made Death Wish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Two, I don't know. People don't change that fast. <laughs> between 2002 and 2016, he didn't change that much. No. So I thought the part, and I guess this is also in that part of the ending that y'all hated, was just kind of what happens when our like lone survivor sort of gets away from the camp and reunites back with Officer Winston. And everything that comes out of that. Did you guys dislike that? Because I actually like that stuff. I think I liked the first interpretation a little bit better when he was admitted to the hospital. Ah, yes. I, I agree. That. So what happens is our, our main character, sort of our, our virginal guy who's from Boy Meets World and his equivalent in the second movie, they both end up reuniting with Officer Winston, who is like... Partying some, it up, man. Yeah, partying it up, man. It just like roadside, little like they're having a little bonfire, drinking some beers, playing some music. Long story short, he ends up going to in the first movie. He ends up going to the hospital, and kind of the movie turns into like a like a seventies paranoia film, kind of where there's like the hospital staff and the police department are like, we got to keep this under wraps, and right. they launch a conspiracy to like kill him and kill all his friends and burn all their bodies and erase all trace that this catastrophe ever happened. And that's pretty much what they do in the first movie. And then the second movie dumbs it down a lot where they just kind of send our hero out into the woods to get lost and die. And then they go and they shoot the one surviving friend at the thing. But I like the way the first movie did it. And it was it was disjointed as all hell. But It was so disjointed. It was another moment where you're like, this is going to be an important moment that's going to turn into something that will make other things make sense. And it, it was, you know, all of three minutes long. It went nowhere, uh, which is, a, you know, the anthem for the whole movie. Just thanks for that. Had a random fucking like rabbit furry in the hospital in the first one. Did you catch that? No. Oh, he was sort of hallucinating. Yeah, that's how I read it, but which may have been a Shining reference. I don't know. Ooh. There is a Shining reference in the second movie, because they, when they're driving to the campsite, 
the they're kind of following the car and they're actually playing i think the same music or at least a very close ripoff of the same music from when they're driving to the, the hotel Wendy at Carlos the beginning score. of the yeah the the shine that might have been one of the bedelementi pieces yeah kind of ripping that off i don't yeah. know but they're full of references yeah B- both of these movies um obviously the second one is full of references to the first one including scenes that would help the remake make more sense if it had just not referenced them and just let things play out as they had in the original. (laughs) Yeah. The ending to the second one is fucking weird too, because there's this last minute jump scare where Dennis pops back up in the middle of the woods. And that's basically the end of the movie. Yeah. That was something else. Dennis who's presumably contracted this virus by biting the guy who had the virus. I mean, because thank God they decided not to replicate the whole racial humor i guess i'll use that term extremely loosely of the first movie that whole thing got cut for the second one thankfully yeah. but then they just have this really silly last minute jump scare with dennis and it's weird because they kind of they lead uh paul right the, that guy character out into the woods basically in lieu of the officer shooting him she leads him out into the woods where he's never going to find his way out and you're like well that's a horrifying way to die that's you know, pretty fucked up. But then Dennis is there. So I'm like, well, if Dennis can find this spot, it must not be too far off the beaten path. Oh, and I forgot about the other like weird twist that gets added into the second one, too, that um, fucking Karen was taking pictures the whole time. Yeah. And somehow took pictures, like, as what's-his-name was stabbing her to death with a shovel. Oh, yeah, we'll talk about that. But we got to talk about what happens to Karen. Yeah, that's true, because we haven't, we haven't brought that up at all. Well, no, actually, we did fucked. talk about it in the book. Yeah, that was <laughs> fucked. <laughs> and it was more fucked in the second Way movie. Way more fucked. In the yeah. first movie, I'm, I don't really remember. They lock her in the, the boathouse or whatever, yeah, and then she, she just kind of dies from the disease, and, and Loverboy goes out there and rolls her over, and she's just kind of like, her well, the, face is eaten away. And that and was the cover the of Fangoria I was talking about. Right. The dog like, eats her And then the dog off. eats her, right. Yeah, and, oh, right, yeah. But she's practically dead when the guy finds her. Right, and then he puts her out of her mercy, so to speak. Or he kind of like beats her with a rock. My reading Shovel. of it out was, of just like anguish. Like, right. Oh my god, I can't believe this happened. The second movie, it's like a mercy killing, but he's fucking shoveling her through the mouth, like the throat. If I ever need to get like mercy her jaws killed. complete, yeah, it was like, through the mouth. Was it the mouth? Yeah, he compl- like he yeah. completely missed. And he keeps hitting her, and she's like, Ugh, and he keeps hitting her. It's I'm like, gruesome. But then there's a moment where she's like, her jaws detach because he missed. Like he had shitty aim, and she goes, "Try again." Yeah, <laughs> and it was like I laughed. I was like, I'm a fucked up person for laughing, but like this is so odd. It was, and then he lights her on fire. <laughs> it was bad writing. But also, it was a legitimately horrifying image. It was. Like, like if that were in, like, a Jack Ketchum novel, I would have been like, Jesus fucking Christ, get me out of here. In this movie, it was like, yeah, it looks scary, but also, like, why is this happening? There's no well, motivation for and this. And it could have been, it was so ridiculous that it maybe could have been played for comedy in the original movie if that scene had played out the same way and been effective, because it's so dumb. She's asking to be mercy killed. The guy has a rifle that... He's unable to fire. We later find out it's because it's the, the safety's on, yeah. which is a pretty elementary mistake to make. <laughs> Although, to be fair, he makes a lot of elementary mistakes <laughs> yeah. with that fucking gun in both movies. He smashes her through the teeth with a shovel in the attempt to mercy kill. Like, the no. 
That's not how you do it. And then, exhausting that option, he pours gasoline on her and lights her on fire. Please, guys, don't mercy kill me like that. No, I know, right? That was my thought exactly. When the time comes, anything with that. Yeah, why didn't he shoot her and then burn her? That would have made more sense. Well, he couldn't get the gun to fire. He thought the gun was empty or Well, he's fucking stupid. But then he still tries to shoot the other guys with it, even though he knows it's empty. And then the big guy goes, nothing as an audience from seeing her burned alive, except for the pure shock value. And that's like my central problem with both of these movies. The stupidity principle that I think like Roger Ebert coined for Halloween too, which is that like this movie only works as long as everyone is behaving as idiotically as possible <laughs> the entire time. Otherwise, there's no conflict. <laughs> mm-hmm. Guys, I feel like if we were in a cabin in the woods and there was a flesh eating virus that broke out, like, you know, everybody says this, but I really feel like we would handle it a lot better. Like starting with just communicating with each other and just being like, Here's what I've tried so far, and it hasn't worked. Instead of lying and being ambiguous. And then, like, mercy killing each other if it came down to it. Like, I would like to think we'd be a little more proficient at that. I'd like to see that movie where the killing these guys in so many ways. I could do it very efficiently. (laughs) I would like to see that movie, though. I would like to see a movie with, like, logical rational people who have innate conflict with each other who get involved in a situation that they can't control but still are like smart enough to communicate throughout the entire thing and not make these critical errors that are just that make it feel so unrealistic i think for me i want to be able to feel like fuck that could happen that could happen to me that could happen to my friends and i you know like come on i would settle for a movie with dumb people who just act in ways that where i understand why they're acting that way Mm-hmm. I feel that way always <laughs> about horror movies, and I might be alone in that, but I'm always like, come on, this is simple, guys. Like, come up with a plan, you know, like even a loose plan. I don't know. I feel like the dumb people horror movies is spent for me. I'm over it. Here's a question I'll ask just because I know my answer to it. What horror movies have had the smartest characters? Oh, I got one for you. I feel like it's part of my duty on this show because I watch so many horror movies to recommend better movies than the shit that we we don't seek out shit we just watch what netflix gives to us uh revenge it's a french film that just dropped on shutter that's getting a lot of buzz like one of the best movies i've seen about a character thrust into a situation where they have to use every resource imaginable to stay alive and it's fucking fascinating has better gore easily than either of these films so it'll satisfy that need for any horror fan Hmm. and it consistently surprised me like in the entire film i thought like wow i never would have thought to do that i kind of felt the same way about my answer which is misery oh yeah oh totally james con in misery is so smart and does comes up with so many good ideas to get out of his situation and it doesn't work and that made that movie really good for me nancy in nightmare on elm street is kind of smart she comes up with a plan eventually Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't know there's like Shaun of the dead's you know, that you're like, they thought a little bit. Yeah. They didn't. I mean, that was their whole shtick is that they're like drunk English guys that are just like, we want to go to the pub. They, they were kind of dumb and bumbling, but they didn't do it anything. They didn't make any critical errors. Right. Yeah. And why aren't there more films like that? I mean, because it really what it takes is uh, the kind of writer who is willing to surprise himself or herself. A lot of the times we're just sort of following a formula. There are so many, at this point, there are so many subgenres that even those are becoming tired. And I feel like, and they each have their own tropes. Like I'm, I'm always seeking out the next, you know, horror film. Revenge is a, is a rape revenge movie. There's a million of those. It's been done to death at this point. And it's one that still 
the the central premise of it of the rape revenge hits harder than any of those I've ever seen before in that subgenre, and also like surprised me more than I would say almost any movie I've seen in the past year. Anyways, we should get back to what happened to Karen. Yeah, we got sidetracked on the way. No, you're you're about to talk about the, the her use of the phone. Yeah, because we find out, and we saw this, we see this briefly in a shot in the second one. There's like a, a weird flash coming from the structure, outhouse, outbuilding, whatever that they lock her in. She's taking pictures. We find this out during the credits, actually, and one of her friends is um, back home, like just kind of lounging on her bed, like looking at pictures on her iPad. And she pulls, she sees uh, Karen's Facebook post from the trip. And so she's scrolling through like, you know, cutesy pictures of them in the car and like hanging out, making out, whatever. And then there's like shots of all the horrifying shit that happened, including her being like stabbed with the shovel. Like uh, what's his name with the shovel? Yeah. Paul with the shovel above her head, like coming down from her point of view. And it's like, okay, how did she, how how, we saw that scene. She was not taking pictures while that happened. And then more importantly, how did they end up getting uploaded to Facebook with the rest of her like cute camping? Yeah. It must've been her last act to hit send or something. Um, But we didn't see her taking photos. You did see her taking photos early in the the movie. They kind of set it up and she's like, I don't have service. It'll take a while. I can still post, but But in those crucial moments, we don't see her taking any photos. Right. Like it's clearly not something that happened. Yeah. It's such a weird, twist that has no real setup to it. I mean, there is setup, but it's not for the most dumb. important it was parts f- of it. It was so, a flimsy attempt to modernize the movie from 2002, in yeah. my opinion. And well, to add some kind of fresh twist to the end. It was right. interesting that there were no phones in the 2002 version. It was kind of before everyone had a cell phone yeah. in their pocket. Sure. I mean, that's not a credit to the film. It's no. just the world that it was made <laughs> in. <laughs> and not a lot of phones in the remake, either. Well, they do the traditional thing where it's like, oh, I don't have any service right. here. And that's how they dismiss phones. For right. Them. My favorite way of circumventing that trope, I was reading, uh, I know I let Patrick borrow this, and it's probably been done elsewhere, but there's a comic called Winnebago Graveyard. And it's like a family going on a vacation in an old-fashioned Winnebago, like trying to have a you know sort of classic uh, camping trip. And, you know, the parents are, like, sick of their kids being on social media. They're The parents themselves are sick of, you know, having to, like, read work email all the time. So they're like no cell phones like turn them off leave them in the car we're going to the fucking carnival and of course they get into the carnival and everything goes wrong and the Winnebago gets stolen and they can't get back <laughs> to it so they're fucked and it's like a perfectly logical relatable rational reason for removing technology from the equation yeah not like hashtag horror where they're like let's just all put our phones in this vault <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> God. please don't take me back there oh I'm taking you back well guys cabin fever I think cabins uh, fevers. I think I think we can close the book on the this one. Yeah, we forever. Can. But uh, <laughs> you know what these movies are missing? The Necronomicon. I yeah. kept waiting for it to pop up. Yeah, I'm surprised. Talking it about did closing it. the book. But uh, bad news is we're about to reopen the book because next time we're watching Cabin Fever Two, Spring, Spring Fever. Fever. Oh God. Directed by Ty <clears throat> Ty West of all people. Directed by Ty West, who is actually one of the horror directors that most interests me, but he, I guess, disowned the project <laughs> because he was so dissatisfied with how it turned out. Because he watched Cabin Fever and Cabin Fever back to back. He was I, like, "Fuck, what have I signed on for?" I have not liked a single one of his movies. If he disowned this one, you did not like The House of the Devil. No, you did not like The Innkeepers. No. Wow. Well, I mean, I would give them both cuets, maybe. All right. 
But if he disowned this movie, it must be really fucking bad. It must be a low screw it. I'm already predicting. Well, my yeah, I guess. I guess he, according to Wikipedia again, uh, there were you know too many cooks in the kitchen. He didn't feel like it was his vision. But it's a sequel to the 2002 Eli Roth original. And from what I understand, kind of continues that story and with, you know, at least has some of the same characters at the beginning. So, And the third one, which is not on Netflix, I realize is actually directed by, I'm a big comic book nerd, and it's directed by a comic book artist named Carr. I don't know how you pronounce his name, so I'm probably going to say it wrong, but I think it's Carrie or Carrie. I don't know, Andrews. And as far as I know, all he had done was draw comics up until this point. So I don't know how he wound up directing a cabin fever movie but good for him i guess so uh yeah join us again next time we're gonna be in maybe a different cabin still drinking water or not i don't know what this movie has for us and i purposely haven't had any of patrick's water tonight oh me neither you guys make fun of me for drinking nothing but canned seltzer water and Mountain Dew Kickstarter. I don't know where Reservoir that shit comes from. <laughs> That's why I have been drinking only Kroger brand seltzer water, so I'm glad you guys didn't uh, drink yeah. the tap water either. Oh, God. If a guy, if a diseased man falls into the... The, the Kro- Huron River. The Kroger seltzer water distributor, the dispensary. <laughs> <laughs> Give me one gram of Kroger seltzer water, please. <laughs> An eighth of Kroger seltzer water. I'm going to be patient zero. Anyway, hey, two episodes from now, we should mention, yep. we're going to have a special, a very special episode, as they say. Yeah, every horror movie on Netflix becomes every Halloween movie on Ever. Not on Netflix, because I don't think any of them are or will be at that point. No, they kind of float in and out sometimes, but never all at once. We are watching all ten, including the Rob Zombie remakes and the new halloween movie that's coming out october yeah they'll be some hot takes some bold horror statements we're gonna do them all in one rapid fire episode that'll be the uh thursday after the new halloween movie comes out in october just in time for halloween i think it's the 25th or something so join us then it's gonna be extra spooky but yeah see you in two weeks we're gonna talk about cabin fever 2 and until then uh you know find us on the internet if you care to for every horror movie on netflix (laughs) i'm chris I'm Patrick. I'm Stephen. And Allison. See you later. Bye.